We're going to turn together in our Bibles, if you've got one with you, uh, or if you've got it on your phone or tablet, or if you want to, you can grab one from the shelves at the back. We're going to turn together to Isaiah chapter 6, this incredible vision of who God is, this terrifying picture of who God is. Isaiah tells us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet, and with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds of the temple shook, and the room was filled with smoke. And I cried, Woe to me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal that he'd taken from the altar with tongs, and with it he touched my lips and said, See, your sin is taken away. Your guilt is atoned for. And then I heard a voice from the throne saying, who will go? Whom shall we send? Who will go from for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. I was thinking this morning, today is September the 11th. Or if you're American, 9-11th. It's a day that a date will always be synonymous with those terrorist attacks uh, on the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and other thwarted attempts. Uh, do you know where you were on September the 11th? It's amazing, isn't it, how these moments stay in our memories. Does anybody know how long ago that September the 11th was? 21 years. Isn't that amazing? 21 years later, I can name a date and you can tell me where you were on that date. Some moments are so defining, aren't they? I'm told that for a period after the sinking of the Titanic, there was a phrase that newspaper writers and historians were using. Uh, they were talking about a Titanic moment. The unsinkable ship sank. The unthinkable thing that actually happened. And for me as a teenager, the thought that America could be attacked was unthinkable. It was a, a titanic moment. And we've just lived through an unprecedented week of history. I don't know if you noticed, but we had a prime minister resign, a new prime minister begin, the third female prime minister uh, this nation has ever had. Have we got any girl power in the room? Great, thank you. And who of us thought, when we saw the picture of the Queen shaking hands with Liz Truss, yes, we all said she looked very frail. But who of us thought that by the end of that week, we would be saying, God save the King. 
And a new king has begun, so following the reign of our longest ever monarch here in Britain, the best prepared monarch who has waited in air for the longest ever in history, has now become king. And yet he went out to meet his subjects with the words, I've been dreading this day. Whole mixture of emotions. They've had so long to prepare for this day and this moment, but apparently there wasn't a bigger table uh, in St. Uh, James's, but there we go. But it's been quite, quite a week. And it's reminded all of us, I think, of our mortality. Some of you may know we opened the church the day after as if we felt we should do something to mark the moment. And almost as soon as the doors were open, from then until the end of the day, there wasn't a huge number, but there was a steady stream of visitors. We just needed somewhere to go. Just needed somewhere to sit and to think, some context, some moment, a titanic moment, the unthinkable change. We're all good with change, aren't we? What's interesting about this passage from Isaiah, the call of Isaiah, from the life that he'd known to a prophetic ministry that he's going to take the rest of his life, uh, Isaiah is all in on this call of God, is that Isaiah very rarely tells us the circumstances surrounding his prophecy. He very rarely dates them at all. But the fact that he can remember where he was should cause us to sit up and notice the year that King Uzziah died. Now, it's easy to sweep over that because what follows is so amazing and glorious and detailed and, yeah, just incredible. I mean, words alone, I was thinking this morning, why am I preaching on this? Because I cannot do justice to this passage. I, I will fail miserably uh, to do justice to this today. But why these words at the start, the year that King Uzziah died? Uzziah was a young man when his father passed away. He was thrust uh, into sovereignty, into monarchship at the age of 16. Thankfully, he had a mentor, a prophet called Zechariah, who the Bible tells us taught him the fear of the Lord. And so much, for much of his reign, uh, the Lord is with him and, and blesses him. It's an incredible period of history. He rules for 52 years in the southern kingdom. He outlives seven kings in the northern kingdom. God is with him and blessing him. There are old enemies that have made Israel's life hell for generations, that, that are broken down, that are brought down during his reign. There are areas that are built up, fortified cities that are built. God is with him. God is, is blessing him. It's a real glorious period. This phrase that is hardly ever used of any king is used of him, that he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And then his mentor, Zechariah, dies. And I don't know what and I don't know how, but something happens to Uzziah's heart. And he decides that he wants to go to the temple and to light the incense. Now, this is a sacred duty. It might look like just a ritual, but this bowl of incense represents the prayers of the people. And the priests who set apart their whole lives to live in holiness so that they can represent God to the people and the people to God, they alone, the Bible tells us, the law of God tells us, they alone can go in and, and light the incense. And then as the people of God worship, they see their prayers ascending uh, right out of the building into the holiest place of God. Uzziah decides he can do that, marches into the temple one day. And this group of 80 priests very courageously come and 
beg him not to. It's, it's not right for you to do this. This is a dangerous thing. And he starts to rant and rage. Suddenly, this king who's, whose reign has been marked by holiness and godliness, suddenly it's all about him for this moment. And he's so angry that they should dare tell him he can't do something. And then leprosy breaks out across his forehead. And the priests scatter and he runs away. And for the rest of his life, he lives in a separate palace his son Jotham then assumes governmentship. He, he governs until his king, this king, his father, dies. And so there's this really strange era of history for Judah. This king that they've loved, that has brought them peace and prosperity and plenty, has suddenly changed. He disappears from, from public life, and there are rumors and stories and, and questions. And then comes the day that King Uzziah dies. And Isaiah, who Jewish tradition tells us is somehow connected to royalty, could well have been a royal politician, well known to the courts, perhaps knowing things that the rest of the nation didn't know, is in prayer, possibly even in the temple, seeking God in this moment. And in this moment of national mourning and confusion and questions, he says, I saw the Lord. It's a shame, isn't it, that it took the death of the king to help him to see. But Isaiah has to learn to lift his eyes from the empty throne to the eternal throne. As I was praying about this morning, I really felt there was a question that God was asking of us, and it's a real simple one. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Where does your hope come from? Your help come from? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And we have this incredible vision uh, of what Isaiah sees. It's described as taking place in the temple. And the temple, of course, for the people of God, represented that, that meeting place where you would go and meet with God, with a, where a high priest would represent you and your needs, your sins, your questions in the holiest of holies. But they would get there as often as they could. It was a big, huge building. It dominated the skyline. It kind of dominated their theology, really, about what it meant to be the people of God. It is this huge place designed by King David, built by King Solomon, a place of history and heritage and holiness. And yet when Isaiah sees God come and sit in that temple, it's not big enough. Isaiah has a glimpse into the God who is bigger. Bigger even than our biggest ideas of what he's worthy of. The sound of the voice of the angel. The place shakes. The threshold, the doorposts shake. The room fills with smoke. And we have this little description that he is seated on the throne and the train of his robe fills the temple. Uh, the word in the Hebrew is that that was an ongoing thing. It just keeps coming. It just keeps flowing. Isaiah's got nowhere to hide from this God. And then these words, holy, holy, holy. It's a word, Kadesh, in the Hebrew. It means so much. It means something that has been set apart. Something that is other than usual, other than normal. 
something that is perfect, something that is pure. The ancient rabbis taught that this word Kadesh contained a notion that it wasn't something that was holy because you could examine it under a microscope and see that it was pure. It was something that radiated holiness. As soon as you saw it, you just thought, perfect. I don't know if you have people in your life that like to repeat themselves. I remember years and years ago, we were going through a real tough thing, and I texted a whole bunch of friends just to say, would you pray? They were under attack on so many levels, and I want to ask you to pray. And one person said, my wife and I will be around tomorrow morning. And they were. And they sat and listened to us. And then eventually he said to me, and what is God saying in this situation? I'd moan for a while. And I said, ah, yes, there are some scriptures, you know, and I'd made some reference to the word of God being the sword. And he looked at me and he said, no, but it is. And I carried on talking and he stopped me and said, no, but it is. There are some things we need to hear, don't we? Holy. Holy. the Lord God Almighty. The word Lord that is written there is the word Yahweh. In the Hebrew it's four letters. Yah-Heh-Vah-Heh. It's the breath sound in the Hebrew. As if to say God's name you can't use anything harsh. No consonants at all. Just the breath sound. And the ancient rabbis taught that the name of God was the breath of life. But the first thing each of us do as we enter this world is to take a breath. And the last thing each of us do, the last thing that we could, that when we can breathe no longer, when we can say the name of God no longer, when that breath that God breathed in us returns to him. It was thought of as being so holy that when people were copying the scrolls, they would stop at this name. They'd discard the quill that they'd been writing with and take a new one and write these four Hebrew letters, Yahweh, Yahweh, Lord. And then that quill would be discarded. So holy, even his name, special, set apart, perfect, other, not to be used in vain, Lord, Almighty. Literally, in its original context, it means the Lord of hosts. The hosts of heaven, this vast number of spiritual beings armed with power and splendor and purpose that vastly outnumbers any army this world has ever seen. And the commander-in-chief is the Lord who sits before them. He's a God of purity. He's a God of power. Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. When Solomon dedicated this place, this temple, he prays. He says, Lord, the heavens cannot contain you. Even the highest heaven, how much less this house that you have built. Sorry, that I have built. Called the house of God, the house of glory. But when this God of glory comes, it's simply not big enough because the whole earth is filled with his glory. 
There's two occasions in the Old Testament, one with Moses when he builds the tent of meeting that they can travel with as they journey through the wilderness, and he would go into that place and intercede for the people. And there's one occasion where we're told that the glory of the Lord enters the tent, and Moses couldn't get in there because of the glory of God. It does not say he thought, I'd better not go in. Or out of respect, I will wait till I go in there. He could not enter it because of the glory of God. There's another time when this temple is being dedicated, when fire comes from heaven and ignites the sacrifice on the altar. And we're told that the priests that were there could not stand to minister because of the glory of God. whatever you think he is worthy of he's worthy of more whatever you think he is capable of he is capable of more the whole earth is filled with his glory wow and Isaiah is stood before this incredible vision this God for whom even the angels have to hide their faces in fear, hide their feet, the lower part of their body in shame. This God that even they sing of without looking at, without gazing upon, as holy. And Isaiah stands there, and in this moment, he's just completely overwhelmed. Woe is me, I cry. I'm ruined. The word in the original language that means to perish. He literally thought he was about to shrivel up and die. What were those words we were just singing? Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see. The people in the Old Testament that had asked to gaze upon the beauty of God and God said to them, no one can look on me in that. That's how glorious he is. It would be like approaching a nuclear reactor and suddenly realizing that you've stood there in that radiation and realized I'm not going to survive this. This feeling overwhelms him of God's glory, God's holiness, his sovereignty, his supremacy. He says, that's it. I'm a man, this is interesting, if he was a politician, a man of unclean lips, well among a people of unclean lips, in the sight of God, suddenly who he was comes to the fore. So interesting, isn't it, that when Peter meets with Jesus and Jesus invites him to throw his net over the other side and there's this incredible catch of fish and suddenly Peter realizes this is more than a rabbi, this is more than a prophet. Peter's words to Jesus kind of echo Isaiah's here. Get away from me, I'm a sinful man. I cannot be in the presence of this spiritual authority, this holiness, this power. This is what's happening to Isaiah. Woe to me. Who was that character on Dad's army? Kept shouting doomed. That's this moment. I'm done. Doomed. Ruined. And then it tells us that one of the angels flies down to him. There's a really interesting word in the Hebrew. I'd love to teach it to you. Uh, in the, when you translate it into English, it's U-W-P-H. And it's roughly translated as oof. Can we give that a go? Not bad, not bad. So you've learned some Hebrew this morning. That's really good. And it describes a swooping down. This angel didn't casually stroll over 
in this moment of fear and panic and trembling, God dispatches one of the angels, go. The word that is used often of an eagle when it's teaching its young to fly. And do you know what, how an eagle teaches its young to fly? In at the deep end, kicks them out of the nest, and then as they flounder, as they fall, will swoop and catch them on its wings. Isaiah is out of his nest. Everything he knew about his world and the spiritual world was literally, the temple was shaken. The house of God was rocking. He is in free fall. He is caught. And on its way, an angel takes some tongs and goes to the altar, the place of the sacrifice, the place where you paid for your sin, the place where you brought a sacrifice to atone, to take your place, to, to, to exact the price, to pay the fine. And the angel goes to this place of sacrifice. Now, notice Isaiah has made no sacrifice. God is providing here. And an angel uses tongues. This is a terrifying one. And takes a live coal and then comes to Isaiah and places it on his lips. The price must be exacted. There is a cost and it is a painful cost. But God has provided a sacrifice. And this angel whispers the words, your sin is taken away, removed from you. Your guilt is literally in the, in the original purged. It's atoned for in the refining fire of sacrifice. And as we approach this God today, I think we can often forget this. He has not changed. There was a guy a couple of years ago called Drew Dyke who wrote a book called Yawning at Tigers. It's a great book. And he was reading one day in the newspaper that a whole bunch of wild animals had escaped and were roaming around this town in America. And yet a whole bunch of people were not responding to the warnings about curfews and not going outside. And they were reading the news about tigers and just kind of yawning about it. And he asked the question, but don't we do the same when we come to worship? He says, if we had a vision of God that Isaiah had, we would not be asking him for better weather or parking spaces. Holy. 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 Is the Lord God. And if he had not made a way, then our response would be the same as Isaiah. That's it. There is no way I can get from where I am, a man of unclean lips, a, a people of unclean lips. There's no way I can bring a sacrifice good enough. There's no way I could accrue that amount of righteousness or holiness to be permitted in this presence. I'm done. I'm doomed. I'm perished. But God swoops down in the person of Jesus. He catches us in free fall. And on the altar sacrifice of the cross lays down the perfect sacrifice for each and every one of us. The God who is holy, 
holy, holy. Because I will be punished for you. I don't know that unless we have been overawed with his holiness, that we can fully be overwhelmed by this God. That this God would do this for us. I love the story that um, somebody was sharing. This guy that was a personal protection officer to the Queen, uh, Richard Griffiths. He was sharing some stories about his time, 14 years of um, working with the Queen. And he said there were times when they would take a little picnic and go into the grounds of Balmoral Castle. Uh, and uh, it was quite safe, and so there was no sort of obvious security detail around it. It was just him and her having a picnic, which was an incredible privilege. Uh, and he said so. And sometimes there would be hitchhikers that would recognize them and sort of keep their respectful distance or come over or whatever it was. Uh, and she was fine with that. She was thrilled with that. I think she enjoyed those moments uh, of normality in, in a life that had been given to devotion and, and duty right up to the end. Uh, and he tells this story about two American hitchhikers that are walking through. Have you seen this story? Uh, and they come over and start talking to them. Uh, and they ask the queen where she's from. Clearly haven't recognized her in a Macintosh and a headscarf. And she said, oh, I'm, I'm from London, but I've got a holiday home just around the corner. And so they said to her, um, oh gosh, you live in London, you've got a holiday home here. Have you ever met the Queen? And quick as a flash, she said, no, I've never met her, but I hear Dixie's uh, all the time. And so they look at Richard and say, you, you know the Queen? Now he'd got to know her quite well over the years. So he was able to say this. He said, yes, yeah, she can be quite cantankerous at times, but she's got a great sense of humor. And then quick as a flash, one of the American tourists asks to have a photo taken with Richard. Uh, and so the queen is handed the camera to take a photo of them stood together. And then they switch positions, and Richard takes a photo of the queen stood with these tourists. And as they're leaving, the queen <laughs> says to Richard, I wish I could be a fly on the wall. When someone looks at those photos and says, that's the queen. <laughs> Suddenly Isaiah realizes I'm in the presence of this God. Holy, holy, holy. If the whole earth is, is filled with his glory, then we could stumble across this God at any point, any time. I'm going to share this story with, with permission from the person. Somebody came in yesterday to sit and to pray. And as she came in, I opened the door uh, to her and introduced myself and said you know, what we were doing uh, and she said that her name was Mary uh, and as soon as she said that name I had that verse come into my head uh, greetings Mary you who are highly favored the Lord is with you and I thought I don't know this person she's never been before no I'm not no thank you but no and I just thought I know those moments where I don't know if you've had this where you pray and you say to God if I meant to do something about that you're going to have to prompt me you're going to have to out of the nest. You're going to have to make me do it. So she was sat with others. And people were sat in silence and thought and, and prayer. And then as she got up to leave, I opened the door and we got talking. Um, and I told her that while she was sat there, there was a unique sense. I've not had this before. There was a unique sense that God's presence was right there next to her. 
with her. I didn't tell her about the verse. And she looked at me and went completely white. I said, I was sat there and thought, I kept saying over and over to God, where are you? And my sense today is that God wants to come to each and every one of us. This God, sovereign over nations, over ages, and remind us that through Jesus, because of his shed blood, because of his grace, he's right there with you. He is right there with us. So what I'd love to do before we come to this altar today, to this table of sacrifice, is just to pause and to pray. And so just for a moment, I want you to think about where you are. Some of us may be quite shaken by this news. Others of us may be feeling strangely unaffected, gazing at other people's reaction with a kind of a bemusement. For others of us, this will have triggered memories of other people that we've lost. connected us, didn't she, to so much history. And maybe there are memories that have been stirred and some of those might be painful. I just want to invite you to be still. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a God who swoops down like a mother eagle. As undeserving of it as we are. And who sits with us in our grief and our loss and our shock. So we invite you by your spirit, would you come? Not for a moment because we imagine we're deserving of. 